0: Sci-fi Saturday night. Sci-fi Saturday
1: night. Stay tuned with the two two O's. See. Sci-fi
2: Saturday night. Sci-fi Saturday night. Sci-fi Saturday night. <laughs> the two, the two <laughs> See, we will begin a mass invasion. We'll tell your people to surrender now and avoid war. It is now time for us to put Earth under our rule.
1: It's your sacred duty to tell
2: us the truth. Confess take it you
1: will give your witchcraft.
2: You think me to believe that you can overrun the entire world? We cannot be defeated. We have never been defeated. That is the message we'll bring all people. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up.
0: Bye bye, Saturday night.
2: Good evening, everybody, unless it's morning or afternoon, in which case, forget the good evening, good morning, and welcome to a new year of Area 51 recordings of Sci-Fi Saturday Night, unless it's morning and it's Sci-Fi Saturday morning. You know, Cam, you know, I like Sci-Fi Saturday morning, don't Don't you? I like (laughs) that, you know. We, should, you know, we could he, change the podcast to Sci-Fi Saturday Morning, redo the logo, redo the name, redo, redo, ah, although I think Kriana would kill me. I we'd was have just to,
0: about to say, Kriyana will a, murder you re-brand. after all the, work, all the work she's done on the website. In fact, I'm just going to text her right now. Or, or Sci-Fi saying, Saturday yes,
2: Afternoon. Yes,
0: Hmm. Guess what your father wants to do? <laughs> he wants to rename and the, rebrand the And You'll just be getting uh, a flaming arrow of a message.
2: <laughs> I, I could just see it coming up on the screen right now. You want to do what?
0: <laughs> Especially after how many hours he's been putting in on this website to get it I updated. I know.
2: Uh, but it, oh, on the other hand, it would be murder. On the other hand, it would be funny. We are the only podcast remaining carbon neutral for the past 10 years and guaranteed to do so for the rest of this year. How do we do it? Volume. I am your vaccinated host, The Dome. This is episode 517. I have no idea how we remain carbon neutral to this day. All I know is we signed the pledge. We're doing it. Did I say this is episode
0: 517? Uh, Yes. Oh, I did? That's what you said.
2: Okay cause this is I't episode- I I,
0: you know you, you know I don't listen to you.
2: <laughs> What's even worse? Yes. What's even worse? I don't listen to me. <laughs> so tonight it's another mask optional semi quarantine evening here in area fifty one. In this episode, it's all about magical world building. I'll explain what that means in a minute, uh, cause I'm not sure. And I'll explain to you why I'm not sure in a few moments. Joining me in the Area 51 Broadcast Facility tonight at the Clickbait... Wow, let me try that one again. Joining me in the Area 51 Broadcast Facility tonight. I'm slowing down because I'm an idiot. At the Clickbait Fact-Checking Wheel of Fish and Soiling Green Snack Bar. It's Captain Cam. See, I can do it slowly, but for some reason my lips don't work quite right tonight. How are you, Captain?
0: I'm doing good. Better than your lips, apparently. So, evidently.
2: You know. I'm not sure exactly what the hell's going on. But uh. I like sci-fi Saturday afternoon.
0: All right. Well <laughs> you 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 run that one by Kriana, and I will just consider myself lucky that I'm out of the blast range.
2: Kriana and Zombrarian are composting this weekend. They're doing composting
0: they might include you in that
2: <laughs> Change the name i i bought them this huge thing that looks like the uh the the big wheel on on on, on Price price's right
0: mm-hmm.
2: uh for composting so they're they're starting to do composting at their house this week and uh i i'm told that it, it Zombrian is using various dead pieces of of food for composting. Well, it's better
0: than so, using living pieces of food, you know. I
2: suppose. I suppose. So I'm gonna I'm gonna float. Could could you send out a memo? Sci-fi Saturday afternoon.
0: Oh no 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 no! no. I'm not. <laughs> I think you need to do that. No, I'm I think you need name. to do
2: that. I'm not gonna do that but I think you need to do that. Rebranding idea.
0: <laughs> Ain't happening.
2: <laughs> I'm not going to get you to do that for me, huh?
0: No, 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 There's not enough money in the world.
2: Hey, by the way, really, really nice, uh, uh, plastic city, comic-con, uh, uh, series of notifications this week. Uh, from our buddy Keith Gleason of uh, all the people who have verified that they're going to be there uh, now that they've decided to do the reopen this year. And he's really thrilled uh, for the first time in two years to be reopening this year. Um, And people are really thrilled for him, A, that he's going to be reopening and B, that they're going to be back. And to be honest with you, the very first person that he announced that's going to be back there is us. And we're really thrilled to be back there.
0: We are most certainly.
2: Um, so, uh, very shortly, hopefully in the next month or so, uh, the, the crazy crew from, uh, plastic city comic-con is, uh, going to be back and on the show, uh, which is from Fitchburg, Massachusetts. Uh, to come by and talk to us about what's gonna be going on and what they're gonna be having and all this silliness that uh, they have in the their one day festival oh fun to uh, to talk about what it's gonna be nice to have back at their 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 event, and we'll be there with them,
0: yep, definitely looking forward to it.
2: On to tonight's silliness. Um, In this week's mailbag, we got a book.
0: And the book,
2: before I bring the author on, and I'm going to wait for a second, and I'm going to tell you why I'm going to wait. Because this book was a bamboozler. And Cameron, I think you're going to be with me on this one. I was bamboozled by this book. Let me explain to you what I mean by that. And then I'm going to bring the author on. He's going to explain to me why I'm an idiot. Of course, I think we already know why I'm an idiot. I think I've already made that abundantly clear. I
0: was going to say, we don't need an author to explain that. No, we don't. We
2: don't. I've already made that clear. Here's why I'm an idiot. I started reading this book. And by the end of the first chapter, I went, wow. This is a really interesting book. And then I read the second chapter and I went, this is not the book I signed up for. This is a very different book. And then I read the third chapter and went, what happened to the first two books? And then I went back, read the first two chapters again. And I went, well, here's pieces of it, and here's other pieces of it. And then I read the third chapter again, and I went, please, somebody help me. And I got very confused, and I started very slowly picking my way through this book, and I went, oh, God, what am I in for? And what I was in for was mythological world building that was very complex and it was magic and world building and myth. And it was, it was, it was very deep and very complex. And the name of the book is Eternity's Will and was written by Zachary Hagen. Zachary, welcome to Sci-Fi Saturday night.
1: Thank you. I'm really excited to be here.
2: <laughs> and I'm an idiot. Uh, hi. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, honestly, um, I think that's, I actually, you know, I taught the book to my students um, when I was teaching English before. And the first few chapters of the book, I think if you aren't aware that it's told from four different points of view, can be very confusing. Um, Let
2: let me tell you what happened to me. And and then we can move on from there. And you can tell me where I went wrong and why I'm an idiot. (laughs) Because to somebody who's... Uh, unexplained, who doesn't have it explained to them, who just reads this book for the very first time with no background whatsoever. It's a detective story. Hmm. And that, could, that's that's what I got, and I'm um, I'm reading it like it's the Dresden Files.
0: Yes, uh, that's the impression I got from the first chapter. The first chapter, I'm going, ooh, this is very reminiscent this is of Harry Dresden be, files. This is yes. going to be Harry
2: Dresden, and I went. Cool, I love this stuff And then I got to the second chapter And I went, what the hell happened To Harry Dresden And then I went What's he doing Where is he going Where have they gone And then I had to go back and read the second Chapter again to figure out Where you were, and then I realized What I think you were doing And then it took me Some time of really getting, really giving up that first impression Mm -hmm. to get into where you were. So let's talk a little bit about Eternity's Well.
1: Yeah. So Eternity's Well was sort of this brainchild of mine that came about because I loved the Chronicles of Narnia growing up and I noticed um especially being deeply entrenched in the literary scene um from the academic point of view noticed that a lot of kids weren't necessarily getting into the Narnia stories anymore and as wonderful as they are it's because they are a little bit dated they're still worth reading in my opinion but I okay. wanted to do something yeah that. I wanted to do something that built on C.S. Lewis's legacy, um, writing deeply meaningful and symbolic stories that had truths about life in them, but also were intensely and insanely entertaining to read. Um, so that was sort of the beginnings of what um, Eternity's Well and the subsequent books had become Um, But it did start out as this sort of amalgamation of little pieces of inspiration from The Last Airbender to um, The Circle, which I can't remember who wrote that series, um, to um, even something like How to Train Your Dragon. (laughs) Little pieces (laughs) came from a lot of different places in that. um, The Inheritance Cycle was a big influence uh for me christopher paolini was a huge role model for me as a kid because i always wanted mm-hmm. to be a writer and he did it so early in his life um and so there were a lot of pieces that came together but what i ended up with was this epic fantasy with sci-fi elements that follows um a cursed merman nix Elior, a human who has lost his brother to a freak accident from a magic technology research lab, and a royal dwarf um, princess who becomes a queen after her father meets an untimely death.
2: So, Zachary, when, when you say your books try and talk about truths about life, are you talking about how? Your characters mirror actions about life today?
1: I think I'm more talking about what it means to be in the world today. Okay. Um because I I wrote the first twenty, twenty five thousand words of the book as a senior in college for a An advanced creative writing class, and then I left it alone for a year and a half. Um, it wasn't until after I lost my best friend and my job in a month um and I had this just really awful thirty days of life that I came back to this book because it was all I had left to do until I could find another job and The book took off from there. And I think that I wrote about dealing with loss and recovering and finding meaning after and in the midst of grief um, in those pages. At least that's what it means to me. I don't know if everyone will get that from reading it, but you read through the first several chapters and each one of the main characters experiences an incredible loss of some kind. And that circumstance drives them together towards the seemingly unattainable goal of finding the well of eternity that they believe has the answers to all of their problems.
0: Yeah, I've noticed that when I was reading it, that loss is a very consistent theme throughout it in dealing properly dealing with loss i also noticed that it was also a, a bit of a theme for a couple of your uh, antagonist characters um even if it was you know a loss of position it it's it still there was a, definitely some feelings of loss there as well that drove mm-hmm. them which i sometimes think helps in antagonist characters if you can sometimes sympathize or you know not you know fully you know understand their Actions, but you can understand how they got there. You know, their choice of actions may be different from what you choose to do. You know, how you decide to, you know, deal with loss. But there's definitely an interesting, you know, similarity in them, and that makes that at least one of the antagonists very interesting. And I would try to pronounce his name, but I, I had to. Uh, it's, the one we'll a a Three. it's the one that begins with a T or a Y. It's the one that begins with a T. Tariq, yes, Tariq, because we find out that Tariq, you know, and again, as I try to be very good about spoilers, Tariq, we we find out that Tariq is not everything we think that Tariq is, mm-hmm. and that Tariq has, to a degree, experienced a form of loss, and so it drives him, but in the wrong direction, where our main characters, Nick, Opal, and Elior, are driven in more Nick's yeah. pu- Nick's. In a more positive direction, the you know Tariq is driven in a more negative direction. Yes. Yes, it, it's very interesting.
1: Yeah, and I think that one quote towards the end of the book perfectly illustrates what you said. Um, one of the other characters, Michael, has something really fantastic to say to um to Tariq to near the end of the book michael was one of my favorite characters writing because he just to me he has so many quotable lines Um, i found myself surprised pleasantly so writing um his dialogue because he just seems so much wiser than even i could ever hope to be (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, which i think is is a testament to how important letting characters take control in some aspects is because he became more than I thought he was going to be.
0: If that makes sense. No, definitely without, you know, and again, because you and I both know what we're talking about, that that the people listening haven't read this yet, but yes, he certainly does. And I think, and again, because like I said to you while we were off there, I I don't I generally try to avoid finishing a book. I will finish it as soon as we get off the air. I'll read the last few chapters, you know, just because I don't want to get into spoiler land. But unfortunately, this one I'm sitting, I was reading the book and I'm going, oh, I think I know where this is going. Oh, I think I know what's going. And I just I buzzed right through those last few chapters and got right to the end. I'm kind of glad I did, because now we can kind of talk about it, even if we have to tap dance around it. But definitely, Michael is a very interesting character and his growth just kind of it's it's when we first meet him, he's he's this um, mild mannered professor. But then we start learning there's a little bit things we don't quite know about him until by the Mm -hmm. end. We have learned some pretty deep secrets about Michael that really do change the character. And so there is a a, a a very interesting growth arc in him that, you know, was one of those things, which is one of the things that kept me reading was one of those things was Michael very much so, mm-hmm. you know, because that was uh, like you said, it was a you created a very interesting character who had such interesting things to say. And it's interesting that you, you mentioned the fact that you let the characters talk through you. Mm-hmm. Were there any others that kind of spoke through you in the same way as Michael?
1: You know, I think that Michael, because I did write it during a, t- a period of intense grief, I think Michael became sort of the voice of reason. You know, it was the part of me and it was the parts of things that I'd been reading to process that were the wisdom behind what I needed to hear. But I think that at that time, the one that I feel really encompassed my own feelings um, was Elior. You know, Opal, you know, she has this profound sense of duty. And when she figures out that she needs to fight for her throne and to do something, she does it. She doesn't really hesitate. There's a little bit, but there's not much. Nyx, as soon as he has this trajectory after being forced out of his home and onto dry land against his will, um, goes for that trajectory. Elior has this fear about him, and he does things not so much for his sense of duty and for his desire to be the good force in his world, but more for the first book, at least, um, out of the sense of not wanting to be alone. Um, Yes, yeah. And I... Yeah, and I think for him, it could have easily been a villain origin story or a redemptive arc. art, um, and he, was, I'm he not, was difficult to write because of that.
0: I'm not entirely sure that, you know, the, and again, uh, i and be getting a little further ahead in the interview here, but, you know, I mean, there is two more books in this. I'm not entirely sure where Elior is going to end up, in this because you're right you know he is i don't think we're giving away too much here this is not a spoiler nobody can call this a spoiler because it happens in chapter one but elior and his brother just a second let me grab my notes here elior and M, his twin brother um are rescue people i mean as well as being princes they they work in rescue work and Mm -hmm. while rescuing some people one of them it's hard to say de- died because there's no body. So let's just say vanished. Just, but mm-hmm. it leaves Elior alone. He has this loss that he never quite deals with. So when he makes this decision to go on this epic quest, it's not out of, say, like like you were trying to say, it's like with Opal. It's, you know, I need to do this for my country and my people. And even Nick's to a degree is about You know, I mean, there are certain very specific things to him he's trying to regain, but he's trying to regain these so that he can rejoin his people and help his people. Elior, there isn't any people there. It's just I don't want to be alone. I want I want my brother back. I want that connection back that I don't have otherwise. So, yeah, it's a very almost at least up until the end of the first book, you know, where we start seeing it kind of go another direction. It's very much a very selfish pursuit Mm -hmm. of why he's going on this epic quest.
1: It is. And I, you know, when I finished reading it or writing it, and then I read through it as I was editing, I realized some of that and I was like, wow. Um, I processed a lot, but I think that it's time to let go of some of my own selfish desires because I put a lot of what I was feeling into Elior, and so it was a good way to kind of look at myself in the mirror and to say, okay, it's time to move on, and um, I think that writing, that was really cathartic for me, and it was also something that, gave me this wonderful piece of art that I feel like Elliot has a, a lot of potential in the future. And I think that his experience in the book doesn't tell you one way or another how that's gonna go completely. But I think that it's, I think it ends in a place of hope for people that have ever been driven by loss to that degree.
0: Well, I agree with you. Elior's arc could go any direction. It could drive him to you know great heights, and it could also just drive him into being a horrible human being. And it just <laughs> it, it it it. And we yep. just we we as the reader now are just waiting for you to tell us which direction. Waiting to
2: see to where he goes. Yeah, absolutely. Yep.
0: Right. Of
1: course, we get a glimpse into that um, with the second book, which is actually. Um, we're recording on the 21st. It'll be out tomorrow on the 22nd of March. So,
2: so I have a I have a process question for you at this point. Sure. Because th- we're talking about book one in a three book arc.
1: Actually, <clears> a five book arc.
2: A five book arc. Yeah. Pardon oh, me. really?
1: Yeah, I'm working on the third one now. Um, but I already have the ending scene already in my head. I know exactly where it ends. So I'm just working towards that goal.
2: And. In book one, you have a myriad of characters, Mm -hmm. and each of these characters is not a a ghost that you can see through, but is very rich, is very well-developed, has a number of uh, commitments to other characters as well as commitments within itself. So, how did did you, as you put this first book together, create a Bible for these? How how did these characters start to come together for you?
1: Um, I think if I had more advice on my side when I started, I might have created a series Bible for it. Um, I actually did not. The first draft of the story did not have um chapters two through four in it
2: okay so what are you shorter. crazy <laughs> <laughs> exactly
1: so two wow. th- chapters two through four were not in there you mean um,
2: all that exposition and explanation wasn't there
1: all of that wasn't there and i don't even necessarily even think of it purely as exposition because i I went through it and I sent what I had to my editor um, after I hired her, really fantastic person. Um, Carrie Jones gave me this great piece of advice where she said that she really didn't understand Opal, Nix, or Michael enough. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you're right. I need to introduce the characters sooner than I do. <laughs> um, because the I initially did not introduce michael until the chapter the teacher arrives oh yeah okay (laughs) Um, i think that's what chapter six or seven or even eight um so it's it's a good clip into the book at that point and he's one of the main characters and he drives the plot forward so he needed to be there sooner nix instigates the um the initial search for the well and
0: mm-hmm.
1: i initially all the stuff that happened with him and his friend mason and minerva happened off screen i knew that it had happened but it did not um
2: it the wasn't fact the that initially. you knew that it happened didn't help the reader one bit
1: it didn't help the reader <laughs> and then um <laughs> Opal and her sort of thrust from I'm a princess who doesn't want to be queen right away, and I have all this time to prepare, and the legacy is there for me when I'm ready, but my dad is still there. Uh, And losing her father was also off screen. So the first time we met her in my original draft was at her coronation. Um, So... I would say that they are well-developed because of a great editor who saw the need for those details to be in the
2: book. That's an editor. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> she is
1: worth her weight in gold. I would not trade working with her for anything. Um, I I'm very grateful for that because I think without those opening chapters where each of the main characters has a chapter where it's dedicated to them, where we get to see the cast, um, I think without those pieces there. The story would fall much flatter.
0: No, I would agree with you. And it was if, once you added in those extra chapters, the teacher arrive ends up at chapter nine. I went and quickly looked.
2: Uh, okay. So he would,
0: he would have come in on chapter six. And yes, I would have to agree that you really did need those extra chapters because I think you the, these characters would have kind of would kind of sideswiped. It was dual, it might have been doable, but you would have to have done a lot of further down the road flashbacks to tell, you know, these characters stories and, and mm-hmm. flesh them out. I think the chapters actually fit rather well. So you couldn't have told me that you hadn't already had them in there, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So those, yeah. those three chapters that you mentioned, you couldn't have told me that, you know, that it, that it, they weren't already part of the original draft. So they fit rather well. Yeah, I think so. And it's,
1: it helped that I knew who the characters were already. Like sure. I'd gone through the first draft of the book. So I had gotten to know the characters really well and I knew where they were coming from, and so adding that information in really helped to flesh it out as someone who didn't live inside my brain.
0: <laughs> um,
1: so it was it was a good choice to add those in, even though it made the book, I think, I think it made it like six or 7,000 words
2: longer, maybe a little bit more than that.
1: Um, but, I mean, I like
0: reading a nice thick book, so it didn't matter.
2: <laughs> necessary like exposition, that. for sure. Yeah. For sure. Mm-hmm
0: and it it didn't drag because I mean Dome and I have had this conversation before sometimes a writer will do exposition and it works well and it 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 helps push the story along without being too heavy and sometimes writers will do exposition that drags the book down this was not mm-hmm. one of those that drags the book down this was one that kept the pace going you you did not feel like you were being dragged through exposition you were you felt like you know you were still being told a a wonderful story and you weren't you know getting you know while you're you yourself zachary the writer is trying to build your world and your characters we still feel like we're being told a fun story and i think that's what made those chapters still work very well right yeah i I think so too
2: i mean there are times when you get a book and it's a book that you can read <clears throat> in an afternoon, in a weekend, it's, 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 it's a light read. It's an easy read. <clears throat> and there are times when you get a book and by the third chapter you go, I'm stuck here now, but it's okay and this is a long haul book and I'm fine with that because it's I'm definitely invest- an ep- it's definitely I'm an
0: epic right because
2: in- I'm invested in the characters I'm invested in the story I'm invested in the epic and I'm invested in the journey and what we've right. got here in eternity's Well coming up next week when the next book hits Eternity's Mirror is an epic the beginning of five arcs of an epic and who we've been talking with with, for the past half hour is the guy whose brain gave us this epic Zach Hagen, Zachary Hagen Zachary, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to talk to us about how you put that to paper
1: my pleasure
2: and as the next book comes out and the rest of the books in the series come out we'd like to invite you back to uh talk to us about the next series of books i understand that eternity as well is coming out in uh audiobook shortly
1: it is actually out now um, it's on Audible it's available um, if you have credits it's available that way it's also on iTunes um, I think most places where audiobooks are sold it's now um, available it's a little bit more expensive as audiobooks are but not too bad I think it's twenty one ninety nine. dollars 99 so
2: an, eternity, an Eternity's yeah. Mirror comes out very shortly as well
1: yeah probably by the time people are listening to this it'll be out
2: exactly Thank you so much. Appreciate having you.
1: Thank you. It has been a pleasure to talk about this. Thank you so much for having me.
2: Sci-Fi Saturday Night is made possible with the support of GraniteCon and Double Midnight Comics, Plastic City Comic Con, The Upper Valley Comic Expo, Dreamforge Anvil and Dreamforge Magazine, and Comic Art House. If you're looking for a great gift idea, may we suggest Sci-Fi Saturday Night's anthology, My Peculiar Family, available on Amazon. The audiobook is also available on Audible. Our intro production was provided by Rob Watts. Check out all of his amazing work at robwattsonline.com. Our outro music was provided by Lawrence Made Me Cry. Their discography is available on Bandcam. Thank you so much, Jojo. This is Dome saying shared pain is lessened, shared joy increased. Thus do we all refute entropy. So unless it's daytime, good night, everyone. That sounds good. That sounds perfect.